Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in. Trevor Lane here for LakersNation.com. Your home for everything Lakers. Your Lakers pick up a win on the road. The first win of their five-game road trip. Found it in game three against the Detroit Pistons. But that was not the only talking point of the night. Yeah, the Lakers win 121 to 116. Big, big comeback. They were down 17. And then Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis led the way. Notice I did not say LeBron James in there. Why? Because LeBron was not in the game. He got ejected earlier in a moment that we're going to have to discuss quite a bit, I believe, tonight. Matt, the Optimist Peralta, joining me. Matt, um, I guess first and foremost, the Lakers won, so that's a good thing. Whoa. I know, that's, right? It's my very lukewarm reaction to the win. <laughs> uh, we were just talking about it right before we hopped on, but how how good do you actually feel about this win, Trevor? Because to be honest with you, I'm I'm glad they got it. But there are a lot of caveats here, and I, I tweeted it mid-game, like at halftime. I said, if the Lakers come, somehow come back to win this game, it's still not going to feel great. And I think I'm right. It, it still doesn't feel great. Yeah, I mean, I think that because it's the Detroit Pistons, like if this was if this was the Warriors that the Lakers had done this to, it would mean a little bit more in terms of of basketball, right, in terms of what we saw on the floor. But energy-wise, this was my chief complaint on the last show, was that I felt like the Lakers didn't put in the effort. And in the fourth quarter, they did. Um, earlier in the game, there were some issues. There were some moments where I just went, oh my gosh, what was that? Especially defensively. But I did feel like this was the first bit of emotion in a positive way that we've actually seen from, from this team, at least from certain players. And, I, and I'm talking about Anthony Davis, where we've seen them really fired up and really pushing to... to execute on the floor like it felt like in the fourth quarter the Lakers really wanted to win and that sounds like a simple thing like hey you want to win the game but we haven't seen that very much from this team this season and so that I think is the biggest positive takeaway from this was the energy that they did play with the desire that they played with in that fourth quarter because that's something that's been missing just about the entire season. It really did feel like this was the first time we felt the Lakers, particularly the Stars, try to assert themselves yes. and really tell everyone we're not going to lose this game. This is honestly, I think, the first time we've seen it all season long because they've already experienced a few bad losses. We referenced the OKC losses quite a bit, and that's because we've seen young teams not be afraid to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Lakers so far mm -hmm. this season. But, you know, as far as the Pistons are concerned, it felt like they kind of folded down the stretch. They didn't really know how to handle the game pressure. They didn't know what to do when the Lakers were suddenly playing better on both ends. So, you know, that that's pretty indicative of a young team. You see that all the time. You know, they go up big. They think they can coast. And then yeah. the other more talented team comes back to, to steal the win, per se. And in this case, that's what happened today. So that's good from the perspective that the Lakers didn't fold. They actually punched back and actually took a win. Literally. But yeah, literally, we'll talk about that later. But, um, you know, again, it, it, go, it goes in the record books as a win, which is great. Uh, you know, down, like, toward the end of the season, we'll look back at this and look, oh, the Lakers won this game. But then, as of right now, in real time, as we're processing it right after, it still doesn't feel too great because we do have to remember they did go down by as many as 17 points. They did. I mean, it, to me, I, it feels fairly good to me, again, because of the thing that I had been been missing from this team was that, that passion. And so I still... Like, it's, it's not, again, like they went and beat one of the top-tier teams or something like that. 
but it was seeing that passion from them that we haven't seen yet. It's seeing them really fire each other up and really go. And like you said, we've seen a lot of teams really excited to play against the Lakers. And it's been a few seasons since we've seen that, where we've seen teams that very clearly, based on the energy they're showing on the floor, they are excited to play offense against the Lakers defense. We've seen that quite a bit this season. Um, we talk about like OKC. That was a team that came in and beat the Lakers and showed no fear and went right at them. I think the Lakers in the fourth quarter gave the Pistons a reason to fear them. I mean, Cade Cunningham is going to be having nightmares tonight about Anthony Davis. <laughs> yeah. And we haven't been able to say that yet this season where the Lakers just went to a team and said, nope, you're not going to score because I'm Anthony Davis and you are not. Yeah, this was a great Anthony Davis game. Uh, you know, again, we've been saying this. Like, he's been having a really, like, low-key good season. It's just that they've been losing. Uh, there haven't been too many, like, iconic, you know, AD moments or two-way yeah. plays so far. But I think this game was was very indicative of that. I think this was a good reminder that when Anthony Davis is focused, engaged, and is, you know, trying to win games, like, wholeheartedly, he's a beast. And we saw that in the final minute. That I don't think there was ever a more Anthony Davis sequence yes. than that last minute where... He takes Kate Cunningham on the perimeter, blocks a three-point shot, recovers, blocks him at the rim again, comes down the other way, Westbrook finds him streaking, scores on a layup. Like, that is just so peak Anthony Davis, and there are not many players, let alone bigs in the NBA, that can do that. So, kudos to AD, because that was awesome, and I'm happy that we got to see it today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Before we get into the 360 award and all that kind of stuff, let's talk about the LeBron moment. So, LeBron, uh, just a free throw. Free throws being shot and LeBron throws an elbow. Now, it depends on the way you want to look at this. I am I think right now, how people feel individually about LeBron James is largely affecting how they see the intent of that action. So people who don't like LeBron are saying, oh, LeBron's a dirty player. He clearly tried to hit him in the face, all that. And then you've got the other side saying, well, LeBron was trying to knock his arm off of him. Stewart's arm off of his hip and accidentally hit him in the face. That was my initial reaction was when I saw the play, I went, LeBron swung to smack his hand away and elbow came through and, and caught him. That was what I thought had happened on that play. But I'm going to be looking at it. You know, I'm wearing a Lakers Nation shirt. So I admit there's got to be some, some bias in there. It's possible that LeBron really did try to do that. Um, I'll certainly admit that. But what happened after was bonkers. Um, that was... We haven't seen anything like that in a long, long time in the NBA. And given that it happened in Detroit, of all places, that added oh, some extra concern. Yeah. If you heard the arena announcer was doing everything he could to make sure nobody went onto the floor. But Isaiah Stewart lost his mind. Lost his mind. I mean, he it wasn't just an initial, oh, I'm mad at you, and they go at each other a little bit, and then they break it up and cooler heads prevailed. He had time to think. And to process, that wasn't just reaction in the moment. I'm seeing red. That was, let me figure out a way to get to this guy. He told multiple people around him, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Only to circle around and try to go again. And then to try to run through as many officials and security and teammates and whoever he could. And for a moment, it looked like he was going to break through all of them to get to the Lakers. In my mind, this needs to be a lengthy suspension from the NBA for Isaiah Stewart because he was ridiculous. What a mess. 
<laughs> like, there's really no other way to put it. Like, I didn't see the play initially, and then I look up, and there's Isaiah Stewart and LeBron James getting yeah. into it. it. Looks like your normal like scuffle where someone takes exception to something, someone says something, or it's an inadvertent hit, whatever. And then suddenly you see Isaiah Stewart's face; he's bleeding from his mm-hmm. eye. There's like blood dripping down. It's like a, it's a really like gruesome kind of scene. If, if not not for the the faint of heart, if you don't like blood, I wouldn't recommend watching that over again. But um, like you said, it was it was like pandemonium almost yeah. at that point on the court. Like you had so many guys trying to hold Stewart back. People were trying to protect LeBron from you know getting too involved in the fight. Isaiah Stewart looks like he was cooling off. Then charges at him again. They hold him back, and then he runs through the tunnel. And then I don't know if you heard the announcers or Stu Lance talking about it, but they were saying like you know he could try and run out That's and come out the right. other end. So they're telling the Lake. So they're telling the Lakers bench, hey, just watch out in case he comes out this way. It, I don't understand what was. I didn't. It was so like bizarre to watch in real time that's happening because like you said you don't see that uh, very often not in just basketball but in sports period to see someone that angry trying to you know look like they're trying to harm another player which you know thankfully no one else got hurt but this is going to be a thing that the nba is going to take a hard look at i stewart has to be gone for i don't even know how many games you want to throw out but it has to be a, a pretty lengthy mm-hmm. suspension i think lebron's will probably get at least a game two probably will. uh given the nature yeah, given the nature that's a flagrant two foul, and usually those result in suspensions, um, intent notwithstanding, because I'm with you, I don't think it was intentional. I don't think he was trying yeah. to hit Stewart. To me, it just looked like you know they were jostling for position on the rebound, and LeBron was trying to just hand fight a little bit, and he got hit, hit him in the face on accident. At least I think so. So you know, it's one of those things that really muddies the game and takes away from the basketball element of it. it that was that was also a long layoff too. Like it was about like a 15, 20 it minute was. delay for the game. Really just, you know, threw the game completely out of whack. And then I thought, you know, coming out of it, the Lakers were obviously a little shell-shocked by what had happened. And so they weren't playing great basketball. But, you know, overall, that situation is one that, you know, that that's just, there's no place for it ever. Yeah. Like, I get it. Like, you're upset. Someone hits you in the face. You're bleeding. Like, I, I would be upset, too. But there's no reason to go at a guy like that. And, you know, for him to still, like, throw a tantrum, basically, and, and look like he was trying to find ways to get back into a fight. Like... That's just, there's just no place for that. Some people ask it, saying it was his hand that hit his face. It wasn't his elbow. Yeah, the, my initial, the initial view of it made it look like it was his elbow. And then once you saw like the overhead view, you could see it was his hand, but it looked like he was kind of swinging through, trying to maybe smack his hand away or something like that, uh, Stewart's hand away. But regardless, yeah, Stewart, um, when, you, when you're given time like that to stop and think, and you've got people that are friendly to you, players that are on your team, holding you back and telling you to stop and you've got time to clear your head and actually process, right? Like I can understand heat of the moment, something happens, you're angry. Like you're, you're just base human instinct is hit back, right? Like that's, that's what you see happen more often than not. Like I can understand something like that happening, right? Where a guy's just seeing red and he fires back at LeBron really quick, right? But when he's got that kind of time to think, that's the part where it really, I lose it. And, you know, and like I was talking with Keith Smith about this and he said, he said, no, he totally understands if a guy's going to get hit in the face, Stuart, he understands why he would do that. So I said, okay, well, we're going to have a good debate on the front office show tomorrow because I just, I can't see how Stuart does not get suspended for a while. And I'm not saying what LeBron did was right. We can debate whether or not it was intentional. I'm sure some people will see it as intentional. I'm sure some people will see it as not intentional, but I think it really depends on what, side you're on in terms of LeBron, who's a very polarizing figure in his own right. I think that will um, change the lens that you look at that moment through. But I I do think LeBron probably does lose. I I would assume that he's out probably next game 
in this one. Yeah, I think so too. It was it's honestly a really scary moment because you just didn't know what yeah. was going to happen. You know, um, he had a full head of steam. He could have easily charged and you know gotten some people hurt. It looks like Dwayne Casey like got his finger jammed in the, oh, in the mix he? up. I saw. Yeah, I don't know. It looked like the, the, the athletic trainer was putting some, you know, like uh, ointment on it or something. It looks like he might have sprained his mm. finger trying to hold Stewart back or another player. I don't know. But again, it's it's just one of those moments in sports where you don't want to see it. You know, you don't want to see players getting into it. Like, obviously, the PA announcer with the history that Detroit has with Malice and the Palace, they didn't want fans mm. getting involved. So it's just one of those things where I think the NBA is going to crack down pretty hard on it to prevent any other future incidents like that going forward. But just, just not a very good moment from this game at all. And that's an understatement. Um, I, and I'm just to give a shout out here to our chat. I've got some people who are saying it was 100% intentional, right? I've got some people who are saying that I've got other people saying, I agree with how Trevor was, was describing it. Okay. Um, again, I think it's important with moments like these that we always recognize our own bias that we may be bringing into a situation when we're trying to analyze things like that. Um, and so I just think it's a good way to to approach it, understanding that we may see it one way, but there might be a reason that we see it that way. Um, but regardless, it, the NBA is going to take a look at this and there's definitely going to be fines, suspensions, almost certainly, but the Lakers managed to get the job done without LeBron James. Guys, those of you who put in um, super chats, I've got somebody Lakers Nation for Life on YouTube said word on the street is Isaiah Stewart is still trying to get to LeBron James. He was he was determined. He was determined. I mean, he he looked like a running back who was making that that like second, third, fourth effort to get the ball into the end zone. And LeBron was the end zone, apparently. It's it's funny because I thought he looked more like a pass rusher. Oh, and LeBron yes. was the key no, that there. is better. That is a better analogy, Matt. I do like that. Yeah, it's NFL yes. Sunday, guys. So, you know, we have to throw the analogy in there. But yeah, great effort if we were playing football. But basketball, no. Um, you know, I do want to mention the Lakers play the Pistons in about a week in L.A. So they we'll do. see what happens there. Uh, all right, let's talk about the uh, the 360 award. Let's do that. 360 award for the best star of the night. And I actually think that in this one, there's no default answer here. So between, yes, between LeBron... Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis, which of those three players had the best game? And I would say you could just eliminate LeBron, but maybe you could argue that that incident fired up the Lakers. I don't know. That would be a pretty big stretch. But who did you think deserves the 360 award tonight? Uh, I, you know what? I, I was, I'm torn because Anthony Davis had that, that, that amazing sequence in the final minutes there to yes. really get the Lakers the win. But I think I'm going to go Russell Westbrook just because I think he was the spark that, that led to the Lakers overcoming that 17-point deficit. We got good rest today. He was great. 26 points, 10 assists, 9 rebounds, narrowly missed a triple-double, uh, 10 of 21 from the field, 1 of 6 from 3. We won't talk about that too much. Um, only three turnovers, yep. which is nice. But uh, again, once LeBron got ejected, the team looked pretty flat for mm -hmm. a few minutes and then russell westbrook said f it give me the ball and i'm gonna just make stuff happen and that's exactly what happened um, i thought you know the pace of play picked up which really suited russ i thought he was making better decisions with the ball he was able to be a force both rebounding the basketball and attacking the rim uh he made smarter decisions particularly finding anthony davis in the low block especially in transition so i really like that from russ overall like just a good floor game from russ but also you know, was asserting himself physically like he can at the point guard position. So I think I'm going to give it to Russ today. You know, 
until I think you're right until the final couple of minutes when Anthony Davis started making some big plays, particularly the, the blocks that he made, the steals that he grabbed. I mean, look at this, Anthony Davis, 10 boards, six assists, four steals, five blocks. Like forget, forget yeah, the points. Insane. That's ridiculous. 10, six, four and five. Good Lord. And then he had 30 points on 11 of 19 shooting. And we're saying someone was better than him. Like that, right. that just feels wrong when you look at that stat line. But I do agree with you, Matt. I thought Russell Westbrook was the emotional catalyst that got the Lakers going in the fourth quarter. Uh, I did think, and I think I even mentioned this in our, our text thread. I don't remember if this was a text to you or the entire Lakers Nation staff at the time. But I said, you know, if, if the Lakers don't wake up after an incident like what we saw with LeBron, what is going to wake this team up, right? They still were just kind of in a daze playing and it just didn't look like they were putting forth that much effort. And it did feel like it was Russell Westbrook who just went, nope, that's not going to happen tonight. And we talked about the benefit of adding Russell Westbrook. Don't get me wrong. There's plenty of negatives that I'm sure a lot of the anti-Westbrook crowd is going to get into in the chat. But the benefit of adding him is you get a random game in the middle of the season. I and mean, we're not the middle of the season, but you get a random game against a random team and your team doesn't have energy. Russ is the guy that's going to be like, Nope, everybody come with me. We got to pick it up and we're going to win this game tonight. And that was, and that was him. Uh, it was great to see him dunk on somebody too. Last time he tried to do that, yep. the front of the rim stopped him. So Russ dunks all over. I forget which piston it was. Check was it? And, uh, and then he was Hamadou Diallo. Sorry. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Diallo yes. There. Yeah. Hamadou Diallo. And then, he was bringing that energy, and that got the rest of the team up and going and helped the Lakers go on a 37-17 fourth quarter run. Yeah, this was the spark plug rust that we needed. When LeBron James is out of the game, who's going to bring it? Who's going to be that athletic force, that physical freak? It's it's going to be Russell Westbrook, and tonight he did that, which I'm, I'm grateful for. Obviously, you know, you would wish that you could see it with LeBron James also in the game. But I'll, I'll take wins as we can get them right now. I know this win still doesn't feel super great to me, but it goes down as a win. It brings the Lakers back to 500. So, I mean, all in all, like, I can't complain about that. And, again, this is Russ just being Russ. We're going to have to live and die with Russell Westbrook. <laughs> it wouldn't shock me if the, as soon as, like, the next game we get bad Russ because that's just how it's been yeah. all season. But when he's good Russ, then we're going to celebrate good Russ. And tonight, let's do that. We have good Russ and bad Russ. We have regular season Rondo and playoff Rondo. We have Staples Mellow and I guess not away yeah, Mellow. Not Staples Mellow yeah. away Mellow. Although Mellow was, was good tonight. Five for eight from three. He, every shot that he took Spoiler was a three alert. tonight. 18 points. In fact, we'll probably talk about him when we get to the next man up award. Uh, but you know what? The, the big talking point heading into the game was Frank Vogel once again changing his starting lineup. Going back God, to man. the big lineup. It's like Frank Vogel is just, he's just constantly trying to see what's going to work. This isn't going to work. Okay, let's go try this one then. All right, this that's not working. Let's try this. He's just trying to find something. You know, he even mentioned it in his uh, pregame presser. He said, we're not good enough to have a set rotation. I'm constantly looking at everything and trying to figure out what's going to work best. Uh, he gave a lot of praise to Trevor Ariza as well. Said that Trevor Ariza already has a role carved out in Vogel's mind. Yep. Uh, and that uh, they're going to rely on him for his vision, his shooting, his defense. It's very clear how much this team misses having big wings. And Vogel, a yep. coach who employs them a lot, is probably not thrilled with the makeup of this, of this roster, not having those wings. And so maybe it's not a surprise that Trevor Ariza, even though he's still a ways away, according to Vogel, is you know on his mind. But in any event, I'm getting away from the topic here. 
the Lakers starting five. What did you think about going back to DeAndre Jordan and running a true center alongside Anthony Davis? I had a lot of mixed feelings about it, like a lot of people did. And I think the worst part about it is that the Lakers, well, okay, let's say, I don't want to say it's the worst part, but the Lakers winning, I think, gives Frank Vogel some more justification or ammo to say the two big lineups uh-huh. work for the Lakers, uh, which was my fear. And he's not wrong. But the thing is, is that they're playing against the Pistons. If they ran this same lineup against a good small ball team or a team that doesn't have like that has more of a spacing, you know, five or more perimeter oriented players, this is not going to work. It's just not good process to me. So we're reverting back to the same starting lineup that struggled to begin the year. Uh, to Vogel's credit, he said he wanted more rebounding, which mm-hmm. was great. The Lakers out-rebounded the Pistons 51-39. And, you know, not to completely dismiss DeAndre Jordan, who had six points and nine rebounds yeah. on the night. Um Played only 13 minutes. Um, I don't know. I just, it's not surprising to me when the Lakers get off to bad starts, though, when they start DeAndre Jordan and Avery Bradley. Like, to me, like, like when you start the first quarter and the third quarter with suboptimal lineups, you're only setting yourself up to dig yourself out of a hole. Uh, we kind of saw that a little bit tonight. Um, fortunately, you know, Vogel went small down the stretch, had AD uh-huh. at the five with his closing lineup. So to me, that that matters more. Right, but it, I think for like a lot of fans um, who have watched enough DeAndre Jordan to this season so far, uh, I just know he's not going to be a mainstay or fixture in the rotation going forward when everyone's healthy. And I just, I just wish that he'd commit to leaning into the more five-out lineups that I think everyone's clamoring for. At well, this and point. The, the challenge is this: so the Lakers they got destroyed on the boards last game against the Celtics because the Celtics figured out, as a lot of teams have figured out, that if you pull Anthony Davis away from the basket and the Lakers have AD at the center. The Lakers can't rebound. They're they are they're at a size sure. of disadvantage at every other position. So if you, even if you're taking a long shot with Anthony Davis defending you, which Jason Tatum did a few times, it doesn't matter that much because if Anthony Davis isn't rebounding, you're getting the offensive rebound and going back up with it. Uh, in this game, though, the Lakers had 12 offensive boards and DeAndre Jordan had 33% of them. So that's I mean I mean that's something that Frank Vogel is going to look at and say, see. DeAndre Jordan, it worked. The Pistons only had eight offensive boards, although there was a pretty egregious one late where Russell Westbrook missed a box out and let, uh, I think it was Sadiq Bay fly in and get a, a tip in. Yes. Uh, those kind of things will drive a coach crazy. But still, the Lakers were better on the glass in this one. I think ultimately I, I've come to this conclusion. Because if you run that other big, you run the risk of getting switch hunted which is what we saw the Celtics do, right? Right, Where they're going to put Dwight, they're going to put DeAndre Jordan in a pick and roll situation. They're going to wind up having to defend a guard or a wing that can score and they're going to get lit up. If you don't run them out there and you run Anthony Davis at center, then you're probably giving up a lot on the glass because the rest of your team isn't that big. I think the only way that you, the only, the only perfect solution is to have two Anthony Davises. That's the only yes. that's the only way that you can really shore up the rebounding and still be able to go smaller. And that would be to have a second player that kind of does. And I'm not saying clone Anthony Davis, like I'm not going all sci-fi here, but you would need another kind of rangy power forward center type that can move their feet a little bit. And those guys don't grow on trees, but that's the only real ideal solution to that problem. Otherwise, Frank Vogel is just kind of trying to play whack-a-mole and team by team see, okay, can I get away with Doing this against this team? No? Okay, let me try doing this then. But no matter what, there's going to be weaknesses. Yeah, this is kind of why before the season started, I thought that one of the holes and one of the, you know, not talked about enough 
issues with this roster is they don't have a tweener yeah. four or five on the roster. Uh, I don't know if you want to consider Carmelo Anthony one, but he, you don't consider him like a physical four or five that guards centers, really. Uh, I'm talking about players like Paul Millsap, Jermichael yeah. Green, yep. um, Markeith Morris, who would have been great to return. Um, I think the Lakers' size um, issues are, are really apparent when you look at that four spot, because unless you have LeBron James there, you don't really have a lot of physicality and rebounding at that spot unless you have Anthony Davis there. But then now you're assuming that Dwight Howard or DeAndre Jordan starting alongside him. So... That's just something to keep an eye out too. I know Trevor Reza has his role, like what Frank Vogel mm-hmm. said. Um, I don't think he's. I think he's going to play nominal four, but I don't really think. I don't consider him the same kind of four as those other guys I just mentioned. And I think the rebounding issues are still going to persist. Again, this is against the Pistons, so let's take this with a grain of salt. True. Uh, when they play better, more seasoned teams with more size and physicality and more veteran players, I think the Lakers are still going to have the same kind of issues, regardless of who's out there. But I, I would love to be wrong, Trevor. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 the Pistons aspect of this definitely, it takes away some of, of the shine from this from this game and this performance. But again, I go back to the effort, the energy. Um, let me get into some of the Super Chats. Guys, I am still, I'm collecting these as they come in. So let me get into this. Sonic Fighter 25 said, still not happy about this win. There needs to be either a players only meeting or staff change because this is obviously not working. You know, up until the fourth quarter... I was kind of thinking the same. Like we were even joking a little bit in our text thread. Like is when the plane flies back to LA is Frank Vogel on it. If they lose this game and continue playing, you know, without effort, what does that, what does that look like? Right? I mean, we just saw Luke Walton lost his job today with the Sacramento Kings. But then after this energy burst that we saw, is that enough? Do you think that that, that energy burst in the fourth quarter, do you think that was enough of a wake-up, or do we go back in this game against the Knicks, do we go back to the lethargic Lakers that we've seen way too much of recently? Uh, good question, Trevor, and I don't have a good answer for you because, again, this team is so Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> I, I, I generally have zero idea how they're going to come out every night. We, you saw them against the, the Bucks. That was a quality loss. And what I mean by quality loss is that they fought, they were within it, you know, they went toe to toe with the defending champions. Like that's a good loss. I, I have no complaints about that. Then you get the game against the Celtics, and there's a reason why I wasn't on that show because I was very upset. <laughs> so there was no way I was going to hop on after that one. And then there's today where it's a tale of two halves. You get the bad Lakers in the first half, and then you get the Lakers in the second half that rally and, and overcome a 17-point deficit. So as far as your question's concerned, how they come out on against the Knicks, I believe, on Tuesday? I Is it Tuesday? Tuesday? I don't remember yeah. when the next game um i have no idea and you know i think the big caveat here is, is does lebron james play I, I i don't think he's going to uh so that already puts him mm-hmm. at a disadvantage so without the benefits i guess of a fight or a wake-up call mid-game i do i think the lakers will come out and and play well i have no idea i, I just i genuinely don't that's part of it too like you never know like what is a safe game for this lakers team there isn't one if you're a fan if you're a There's fan none. and you're thinking okay, this is a game, I've had a long, stressful day, I'm going to sit back, relax, and I'm going to enjoy a fun basketball game. You don't know when that's coming with this team. They can be playing the best team in the league uh, and look good, like we saw with the Miami Heat, or one of the best teams in the league, and they can also be playing one of the worst teams and be infuriatingly bad and look like they don't want to be out there. Right? I mean, you just you don't know what you're going to get 
out of this squad. And so that's that's part of, I think, the frustration that we've seen. Uh, speaking of which, though, Trevor Bailey from YouTube said, can someone make Russ mad every game? So like the, the Bruce Banner thing here, like that's that's the key. You have to make Russ angry before every single game. Well, first of all, I think Russ already always kind of operates on a certain level of anger. Like it's just, it's right there. It doesn't seem like he has to do a lot to fire himself up. You know, he's always kind of right, right there on that edge. But I don't know. Is there is there some way that, that people can make Russ angry before every game? So then you get angry Westbrook? I don't, I don't know. Like, I feel like Russ is always mad every game. Like, he always feels like he's trying to kill the other team's best players. <laughs> I mean, does he do it every game? No. Uh, you know, there's a hilarious still shot going around from the fight between Isaiah Student and LeBron James where Russell Westbrook was also getting held back. And you well, can see him in a fighting up. stance with his hands. <laughs> yeah, I, I have it saved in the meme folder because, man, it's hilarious. Um, I saw a couple ones. It's like, you know, me trying to defend the Lakers this season. Um, <laughs> it's, it's so funny, but... I think Westbrook plays pretty angry mm -hmm. every night, and I think what really gets him going though is when he gets to yam on someone, yeah. like he did tonight against Diallo. Um, if he could do that every game, that'd be awesome. But um, you know, while you were talking about your last point as far as you know what you're gonna get out of the Lakers, I was scrolling through their schedule, and here, here are the next teams they're playing, and tell me which one feels safe to you. None of them do. They have the Knicks on Tuesday. <laughs> they know they're not going to right, but if you had to pick one, they have the Knicks on Tuesday. The Pacers right after on Wednesday, the Kings this Friday after Thanksgiving, and then they play the Pistons again next Sunday. That's their next four games. I mean, if this team had consistency, we'd be looking at that saying, this could be a five-game win streak here. Right? <laughs> like, wouldn't, wouldn't we? If Let's say the Lakers were the team that we thought that they have the potential to be, and that's what we've seen so far this season. Sure. We'd be looking at this stretch saying, okay, we probably have a five-game win streak coming. But with this team, the way they are, as Jekyll and Hyde, as you called it, who knows? Who knows what you're going to get on a game-by-game -game basis? Somebody in our chat said uh, it's Forrest Gump style. The Lakers are like a box of chocolates. Box of chocolates. <laughs> yep. I was thinking yeah. of the same thing. No, we said we said on this road trip, what would be a good what would be a good result? We said three and yeah. two. Right now they're one and two. They still have the Knicks, and they still so you're have. Tell the me, there's a chance. So yeah, I, there is technically a mathematical chance that they do, but how likely is that yeah. at this point? I don't know. I, I really don't know. If they, like It would be so Lakers of them to, to sweep their back-to-backs in convincing fashion after the rough start. I wouldn't be surprised. And I also wouldn't be surprised if they got absolutely blown out True. both games. Uh, High ceiling, low floor. That would be hurting if, they, if that happens. Uh, Carnell Michelle Johnson from Facebook said, How many bricks from three does Russ have to throw up before he finally acknowledges he's not good at them? It stops taking them a That's lot. He's happen. built many houses. Russell Westbrook has. Um, yes. Him and, him and AD are working yes, pretty hard this yeah. year. AD, AD over for one from three tonight. The Lakers as a team, 32% from three. Not great. Westbrook, one for six. The most egregious of the team. Wayne Ellington, not far behind, though. One for five. Westbrook, so if you go back and you pull Westbrook's shot, shot charts, you'll see it's the angle threes that he's just... Like, it should just basically never take in terms of his percentage. There's straight on threes. He's not, like, he'll sit right about league average at. And the corner threes, he's okay at. Like, if there was some way to just limit him to only corner and straight on threes, he'd be serviceable. I mean, not great, but he'd be serviceable. It's the angle threes that really get him. Uh, one for six tonight, not great. But again, he was the 360 award. 
because he did so many other things in this game to help. Uh, two things. One, I just want you to know that Dwight Howard oh, shot better than good point. We need Westbrook to talk about and AD. Yeah, just FYI, he was two for two. Uh, West, Westbrook and AD were combined one yes. for seven. Um, and then two, uh, the reason why Westbrook's so bad at the the wing threes or the uh, the angle threes, as you like to say, is because he's not banking them, Trevor. Oh, is that what it is? If he's on that left side, he needs to bank the three. Haven't you seen his seventeen and eighteen mid range uh, me... jumper when he banks them? There, he's like almost automatic. After this, Trevor. I will call up my relative Frank Vogel, and I will um, I'll see if I can if I can tell him. I say, hey, just just go tell Russ, bank the threes. And then we're good. That's a weapon. I forgot. I, I was looking at this before the game. But it was like somewhere on cleaning the glass. But, you know, they compared Russ's uh, jumper efficiency from when he tries bank shots uh -huh. to regular pull-ups or regular jumpers. And the, 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 the percentage difference is astronomical almost. Uh, I think, like, shooting banks, he's, like, almost 50%. But everywhere else, he's, like, 25 or 30%. <laughs> and so when you say, like, hey, what's the issue with Russ's jump shot? He just has to use the, the glass. The bank is open, and it's not because he's making $44 million. That's, That's correct. Yes. He's making more than uh, Crypto.com is paying oh, AEG for the, the naming rights. The, the Crypt. The Crypt. Um, okay. Somebody mentioned mm -hmm. Austin Reeves uh, is deeply missed. This is a super chat from Vanya Gajic. Uh, said AB is inconsistent. So that's something else that we got to talk about. Uh, so Austin Reeves, here's what Frank Vogel actually talked about him before the game. He said that so far his ramp up has gone very, very well. He's played one-on-one. -on -one, he's played two-on-two, -two, no problems. And Vogel added in that if it was up to him, and by him, he was talking about Austin Reeves, not himself, but said if it was up to Austin Reeves, he would be back already. He would be, he would be playing in tonight's yes. game. So he feels yeah. good. He feels ready to go. The training staff, though, because it's a hamstring thing, they're just, they're, they're being cautious with it. When Reeves comes back, because look, Avery Bradley defensively, okay, he brought energy. He put up the Alex Caruso line, 0 for 3 shooting, three boards, one assist, plus 18 to lead the team in plus minus. Where are we at with Avery Bradley? The plan was for Austin Reeves to move into the starting five against the Miami Heat. That was yes. that was the Lakers' plan. Austin Reeves was going to move into the starting five. That was a couple of weeks ago, though. Does Reeves, if he comes back and he's the same guy and he finds his rhythm, do you go back to that? Do you bump Avery Bradley out of the starting five, the plus minus king in tonight's game, and go to Reeves? I, I mean, I even threw out on Twitter, what's the Lakers' ideal starting lineup right now? Uh, to answer your question, I hope the answer is yes. Um, would I want to do okay. it? Yeah, absolutely. I think Reeves has earned it. I think that... Here's my thing with the Lakers lineup, right? If you're going to play two traditional bigs with DeAndre Jordan and AD, um, you already have LeBron James and Russell Westbrook. I think your third guy either needs to be a sniper or, like, you know, a, mark, a knockdown three-point shooter, or he needs to be a guy that can handle the ball as well as a secondary playmaker, uh, someone that can make defenses pay when you get them into rotations, you know, another drive-and-kick kind of guy. And I think Austin Reeves can do that. He's also a more credible three-point shooter than Avery Bradley is at this point, I think. So, to me, I think Reeves makes the most sense in the starting lineup. He's a little bigger than Ivory Bradley, too. Reeves is at 6'5", also, also can shoot a little bit better, like I mentioned. So, I think all in all, his skill set meshes well with the projected starting five. And then to answer your question as far as, like, you know, who, what's the ideal starting yeah. Lakers five right now? I think I would have to go Russ, AD, LeBron, probably Reeves. 
And then I guess I'm a little torn between Carmelo and Trevor Ariza here for that last spot. I mean, well, but I mean, assuming like Ariza is still a few weeks away. I'm talking about, let's say Reeves comes back next and Reeves comes oh, back right now. next game. What's the, and let's say LeBron's not suspended. What's the best starting lineup Vogel can put on the floor? I'd say Reeves and THT okay. in that case. Yeah, I mean, I and I don't know yeah. that I would disagree with that. I think that Vogel in tonight's game, and we'll see what he says in the post game. I think THT was kind of pushed aside when he was playing with LeBron, Westbrook, and AD in the starting five last game. And I think that by bringing him off the bench, the plan was, okay, we're going to get more of the attack-minded THT if we do that. So I wonder how that would look. But talent-wise, he's certainly there. But I also think, doesn't this speak to how weird this season has been? Right, that oh yeah. When we're talking about the Lakers' ideal starting five, and what the starting five looks like right now, right now the Lakers in their starting five have a guy that was on the street a day before the season started. Okay, I mean it's not like it's not like he's been <laughs> yeah. sitting for six months. He was playing with the Warriors. The Warriors cut him before the season started. He came to the Lakers a day before the season started, and he's and now he's starting for the Lakers. Not a guy who was part of the plan. Not a guy who was, hey, we're going to go sign this guy in free agency. Just a guy who, hey, he happened to pop free. Let's grab him off the market. And Austin Reeves, another guy who there's no chance that Frank Vogel or anybody else in the Lakers organization, as optimistic as they want to be, ever thought, hey, Austin Reeves is going to be a real part of our rotation this season, let alone a starter. And here we are with Avery Bradley in the starting lineup and Austin Reeves as the guy we're looking at that maybe that's one of the, the best piece that you can put in the Lakers starting five. That shows you how far off the rails this season has already gone, both in terms of injury and guys just not fitting and underperforming. Yeah, um, it's kind of odd that we're still talking about what the Lakers starting lineup could be almost a quarter of the way right. through the season. Um, we said it was a good problem at first, but now I'm starting to think that maybe it's the opposite where if Frank Vogel is going to be mixing and matching and he even thinks that they're not good enough to have a set mm -hmm. starting lineup, that to me is like a red flag. <laughs> uh, I know he's dealing with injuries. I know the teams he's trying to, you know, walk this tightrope of good defense, good offense. Um, I think a lot of people from what I've been seeing is like, they've been saying that Frank Vogel just needs to lean in one way or the other and yeah. just commit to it because I think all this roster shuffling and all this lineup combinations, it's, it's just kind of throwing the team out of whack and they haven't really been able to establish, you know, much consistency yet. Um, I think there's some validity to that. I do think that, you know, for this particular roster, and I've been saying it this whole time, he just needs to lean into the offensive side a little bit more. But that's but not him. I think for Volk, but that's not him. Exactly. That's not, that's not his inclination at all. He's always going to be defense first, physical basketball, two bigs, one rim protector all, all the time. And I don't blame him. Like, he's going to stick to his guns, as he should. Because, you know, head coaches in the NBA, like, you know, we want them to adjust all the time. We want them to be, you know, malleable and flexible. But they, at their core, have their own philosophies and beliefs about basketball. And this just happens to be Vogel's. So while it's frustrating for a fan to say, for, for him to, you know, throw out mm -hmm. these lineups and for us to keep seeing it not work over and over again, it's hard for me to blame the guy still because he got to where he is based off, you know, how he's been coaching teams up to this point, sure. right? Well, and, and especially um, he, he made so changes to the way he approached the game between Orlando and the Lakers. But he still he, did, he yeah. still is defense. He will always be. That's his that's his default setting is defense. 
Yeah, like, I, I guess this is probably a natural segue, but we've been talking a lot about Frank Vogel's uh, head coaching tenure with the Lakers. Uh, we're not too sure how it's going to play out at the end of the season. Um, I'm on the more optimistic what? side that I think he gets until no, the end of the you're year. you're optimistic. Come yeah. On. <laughs> I'm the optimist, Trevor. It's my uh, shtick, and I have to I have to prove it here. No, I've been on the more optimistic mm -hmm. side here that I think Frank Vogel lasts until at least the end of the regular season, barring an absolute collapse in the next couple of weeks. But um, I've heard the calls. I've seen it. Frank, fire mm -hmm. Frank Vogel is a common mention in my, yep. in my replies and my mentions, just like I'm sure they are in yours. Um, it gets harder by the loss to to defend him, especially tonight. If, if tonight did not go the Lakers' way, the seat would have been oh, would have yeah. been burning. I think absolutely. Yeah, like Trevor, how 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 much do you think this win, or how much time do you think this win bought Frank Vogel? Uh, I mean, at least a few days, right? I mean, I mean, because let's face it, if they then go zero and two on the rest of the the remainder of the road trip, I think the fire's right back especially if they look bad and we don't see ever. It wasn't just that they were losing. It was the way they were losing and how lethargic they looked. And like the team just didn't look motivated at all. Um, but again, you mentioned the the team that Frank Vogel has been given. This is like if Sean McVay suddenly swapped places with Bill Belichick. And, and he then oh, is running a team with Mac Jones as his quarterback. Like that's, that's what Frank Vogel got. He got an offensive lineup with a bunch of guys who don't like to play defense and he's a defense first head coach. That's what happened. Yeah. I, I mean, to be fair, Sean McVay got the 2020 Rams, which Eric oh, got that, that quarterback. That and as a Rams fan, as a Rams fan myself, we had the number one defense, but our quarterback play sucked. Um, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm still very salty about that season, but anyway, um, yes. Uh, Frank Vogel is coaching a team that he would probably himself not handpicked. This is the cards. This is the hand that he was dealt and he just has to play it. Um, I think he has done like a very mediocre job as oh, so yeah. far. I know he's right. been, the, we're not saying yeah, injury, injuries aside. Yeah. Injuries aside, you know, it's been it's been tough. <laughs> like it's it's been hard to watch as a fan because there there seem to be simpler solutions, but I think tonight what was most frustrating was to turn back to a lineup that everyone already universally, at least in my mind, was like, yeah. this does not work. But lo and behold, he busted it out against a poor team and and they won. So, you know, that was my worry is that this is gonna justify the means a little bit, but to me it doesn't. It's still a bad process. And I've been like yelling from the mountaintop at this point, like process mm -hmm. over results. It's just not good process. Like I get it. Anthony Davis at the five hasn't been working two losses in a row. Let me go back to what I'm, I'm used to, what I'm comfortable with. And yes, I got a win, but at the same time, like long-term, is this your solution? I don't think so. No. I don't think so either. I don't think so either. So we'll see how it evolves as more players come back healthy and everything, but still we're not that far away from having a healthy Lakers team, really just missing Kendrick Nunn, Austin Reeves, and Trevor Ariza, which is, I mean, would be a lot for, for most teams, but for this Lakers team this year, who've had so many injuries to deal with, that's not a lot. Um, we do need to get to the next man up award though. So of the non-star players, sure. not LeBron, not Anthony Davis, not Russell Westbrook, who was the guy who stepped up their game the most from there? And chat, if you're coming in from YouTube, from Facebook, from Twitter, let me know, who do you think stepped up the most of the other guys on the Lakers. Give us your thoughts. Matt, what do you think? Who do you think should uh, should get it? Go. Going back to the well, Trevor, right. it's Carmelo Anthony. 
Uh, five of eight from three. Like you said, all of his attempts came from beyond the arc. Three of three free throws, 18 points, two blocks, uh, a couple boards, really solid night. But um, the threes that he hit in the second half are pretty mm-hmm. crucial, in my opinion. He cut, he hit one in the fourth quarter that cut it to eight. Then he cut, then he hit another one that I believe cut it to either four or one. I don't remember, but uh, they were really big threes. It swung the momentum completely in the Lakers' favor. Um, that outside shooting has been one of the lone bright spots for the Lakers season up to this point. He's been incredibly consistent. We've been joking a lot about Staples Mellow versus Away Mellow. Uh, we finally we got, got good we Away Mellow. Mellow. We got Little Caesars Mellow, yes. And we were talking about that just a couple days ago about the worst arena names in the NBA. And I completely forgot that the, uh, the uh, Pistons Arena was Little Caesars Arena. And um, just to compare that to the, the deal the Lakers got, so the Lakers got seven hundred million, or I shouldn't say the Lakers got the Staples Center, right? The AG got, got seven hundred million over twenty years. The Pistons mm-hmm. are getting six million in change per season. So the Lakers, if you do the math, Jesus. the Lakers are getting about thirty-five. I keep saying the Lakers, AEG, right? They're getting about thirty thirty-five million, 35 million for naming rights for their arena. Yep. The Pistons are getting a little over six million per season to call it the Little Caesars Arena. You can pay me seven hundred million dollars too, Trevor, and I'll change my yeah, name. Yeah, right. Seven hundred million is you can name the building whatever you want. That, that's that's that kind of money. Yeah, like I saw so many people complaining, like why would the Lakers and Staples right. Center do that? And I'm like, there's seven hundred exactly. million reasons for them to do it. Exactly, Crypto.com Arena. That will take some time to get used to, but if we just start calling it the Crypt, it's the dot com. It's that's the dot so com annoying. that gets everybody right. That's that's certainly it. Just say Crypto Arena, Crypto, crypto Center. Center. Yeah, even if you just said uh, that. Like, so many different names, but no, I got to throw the .com in there because we need to know yeah. your website. Like, oh. All right. Um, so I'm also going with Carmelo Anthony. I think it wasn't just the fact that he hit those threes. They were timely threes, and he was talking to the crowd after he's hitting them, right? He's running down the floor, chatting yep. up the crowd, yelling at them, all that kind of stuff. That, I think, was – it wasn't quite the emotional uplifting effect that uh, that Russell Westbrook had. But it was kind of along that line, like Carmelo saying, hey, I know we're down, but we're coming back, guys. We're going to get this rolling. And the rest of the guys start getting picked up, too, when Melo's knocking in those three. So I think it's clearly Carmelo Anthony. I believe if we were to keep track of this, he's he would be winning on the season in terms of next man up awards because he's gotten so many of them. But there's nobody else to go with, although I will give an honorable mention for Dwight Howard, Dwight. who shot yep. the three better than Carmelo Anthony did. Better than anybody did because he shot 100%. 100%. Two for two, though. Not just one for one. Two for two from three. And people are, you know, people always make the comment, oh, I saw Dwight make some threes in warm-ups. Can he, you know, is he going to become a stretch stretch center or whatever? He actually can make them. He can. It's just not part of his NBA repertoire typically. But he can knock them in somewhat regularly. I don't know if it's enough to where you would, like, scheme that in. But if he's open... He can shoot them and make them. You know, at what point does it stop becoming a meme and they do let Dwight take in-game threes when the game's not a blowout? Because, you know, the two he took today were actually in rhythm within the flow of the possession, and it wasn't like the Lakers were out of the game by any stretch. Um, I'm just kind of curious. You know, I don't think... I'm still not comfortable with the idea of him doing it, like, every game, per se, but, you know, he's not shot them very bad at all. So I don't. He's got to have the highest three point percentage on the team, right? Just by by percentage wise, obviously, if you if you if you filter it by volume, no. But if if you just went by 
yeah, if you just want by pure percentage points, then yeah, he's by far and away the best one. Um, I don't know, like, what happens if Frank Vogel's like, hey, Dwight, you get one three a game? Uh, then he'll he will take four. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, he is okay. Dwight is sixty percent from three on the season. But he averages he averages point three attempts per game. But you're right, there is at some point, and I don't have to imagine it would be in practice because teams keep track of this stuff. Teams keep track. Mark Cuban talked about this today, how they've kept track of players when they're just shooting around, right? When they're doing their shooting drills and stuff in practice, they keep track of their stats of how well those guys are shooting. And he talked about the the Wilson basketball and how they've noticed that the guys oh, who yeah. have the flatter arc have seen their percentages drop. Whereas the guys who have a higher arc have their percentages have improved or, or stayed the same uh, with the new basketball. And he thinks that it's a factor with that. But that's besides the point. Teams keep track of, of player stats even when they're in practice. So I would imagine you would have to see for Dwight to be able to start really shooting them in games. It would have to be something where the Lakers see in practice he's hitting X percent of them. And I don't know what X is, what that number would be. But it's clear that he can occasionally knock those down. As much as it seems like this kind of, I don't know, this kind of random thing that pops up, it's not outside of his wheelhouse to actually knock that shot down every now and then. Yeah, I, at this point, I don't think I'd be mad at it, especially if the Lakers are tilting toward a more a more three point shooting kind of centric offense, or at least they're attempting more looks. Um, Dwight is never going to be a pure stretch no. five by any means. But if you're going to tell me that he's at the top of the key completely by himself, no one's even bothering to try and close out. Would I be that upset if he took that three? Probably not. And um, can we talk about the new yeah. ball for a second? Cause I don't think we've talked about this too much. Um, I've been playing a lot of pickup basketball recently. I, I Shout out seen, I've seen it week. on your Instagram, which I am now following. So now, now I know. This. Thank yes. you, Trevor. Yes. I was just a way yep. to plug that in there. Love it. Um, yeah, shout out the Barangay League, one. But two, um, I have actually felt the Wilson oh. ball. And I can I can confirm that the, the grooves on the basketball are a little bit more shallow than than the than the Spalding ball. So for guys that are accustomed to... Because, you know, when you catch a basketball, right, and you're not shooting the motion, you try to kind of shift uh -huh. the ball or rearrange it in a way where you can get your fingers yes. within the grooves of it. Um I have noticed that it's a little, it feels a little bit weirder to shoot that. So for it, and it's I don't think it's necessarily like a mechanical thing for guys, but I think it's more of a mental thing. Like when you don't feel the same rhythm with the ball that you're used to, it does kind of throw you off a little bit. So I'm not surprised that some guys have struggled a little bit shooting from outside. Uh, but that just goes to show me that maybe Dwight is going to benefit from the new ball more than other players do. So who oh, knows? I've got I've got a number of people in our chat who are saying they didn't realize there was a new ball. Yeah. Oh, see, good thing we're talking about it. Yeah, they switched that over. It was a mm -hmm. big thing last year. They, it's, 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 it's the Wilson ball now, not the, not the traditional right. NBA Spalding yep. ball. Yeah, so. the Wilson basketball. Which I, I mean, back when I played pickup, which I haven't in many years, but back when I played pickup games, it was the Wilson ball was usually the preferred option. Now it's not this ball, but in general, I liked the Wilson basketball and what they were putting out better than the the Spalding ball. I just it, it was always a little bit tackier, a little bit easier to grip, but what the professionals use is a little bit different in terms of how it's made and things like, like if you, with the Spalding ball, if you got that ball right after it came out of the packaging, you're that like, what is this? Like, why would anyone play with this? It, it felt, I don't know if I want to say cheap, but, but not good. Like not a ball that you would ever want to play with, but it was, it had, to be, break that in, in, man. had to be broken in a very specific way yeah. and, and all of that. So, 
I don't know if the Wilson ball is the same way. Guys will adjust as time goes by and everything, but I it, this certainly isn't the level of the synthetic ball that Spalding made. It's not like that. If it is making a difference, which it probably is to some degree, it's not like the synthetic ball that Spalding made and then had to get rid of. It's like how, um, I forgot what year it was, but there were a lot of complaints about uh, when Team USA had to switch over and oh, use the yes. FIBA ball. Uh, yeah, like that one, I don't know if anyone's actually played with that ball. I, I've actually done it a couple of times. Man, that thing to me feels yes. foreign. Um, like it feels like slick and like leathery. And like, yeah, it just it doesn't feel good on the tip of your hands when you release. Like it, it's an odd ball. So uh, for anyone out there that thinks that the ball doesn't matter and it shouldn't affect your jump shot, it absolutely does. When you're 100%. watching like Olympic play and, I, and you see NBA players using that ball, you can just tell that they're not comfortable with it. Just even their dribble, like their, their handle is not nearly as tight. You see guys that normally just have the ball in a string. They don't with that basketball shots that you see guys normally make that are just rimming out. Uh, it was, yeah, it, it, that's a good, a uh, good example. All right. I do have some super, some super chats that I need to get through here before we, before we go anywhere. Uh, I've got Gamal Noble said, I always thought the Lakers should have gone after Jeremy Grant when he was a free agent. I thought he would fit perfectly with LeBron yes. and AD. Uh, yes, but they didn't have the money to pay him. That was the problem. I know a lot of us were saying, Oh, give him the full mid level. He'll definitely take that. No, he got way more than that. So, yeah, they, they didn't have the money for him. But, yes, he would have been a great fit. No question, as with just about any other big wing that's out there that can do things that he can do. I I don't remember the top of my head, but I think Jeremy Grant makes – I think the, the original contract was three yeah. for 60. I don't know. You can probably fact check that. It sounds about right, though, right? I Something know it's along those lines. The AD. I'll look. Yeah, it, that's actually funny. We could segue into this because I'm sure the follow-up question is, what would the Lakers need to trade to get Jeremy Grant? Uh, guess what, guys? It would have to be some combination of THT, Kendrick Nunn, and a couple minimum contracts to get that done. Jeremy Grant so. making $20 million this season, 20.9, so basically $21 million next season. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, so in order for the Lakers to get to there, they'd have to give up a few players to meet that in a hypothetical deal to right, make it legal. That's not a bad contract for him. It's not at all. It's not. That's a very affordable. In today's NBA, that's a very mm -hmm. affordable contract Absolutely. for a 3-4 guy. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a very that's good awesome. contract. Uh, let me see what else I've got here. I've got um, a super chat coming in. that said, I saw winning defense for the last seven minutes of the game. Unless they're willing to play it for more than seven minutes a game, they're not going to win too many games. I agree. I agree there were early times where the defense did not look good at all. In fact, the defense looked like they didn't really care that much. And that was, again, been one of my issues. We saw moments where, in fact, there was a moment where when Jeremy Grant was red hot, Taylor Horton Tucker, for no oh apparent God. reason, Anthony Davis was defending somebody. I can't remember who it was. But the ball gets swung to that guy, and THT leaves Jeremy Grant to go double the ball, leaving Jeremy Grant wide open after he had already hit, I think it was either two or three threes. I think this might've been his fourth three in a row. And Anthony Davis, before the shot even went up, AD turns to, to THT and was like, what are you doing? And yeah, moments like that are happening a lot. You're also seeing low effort, but the last seven minutes, they tried. They played hard. They played to win that game. Hopefully we see more of that because that's part of what this season hinges on. Do they eventually wake up and play hard 40 minutes a night, right? That's probably what it takes to win a game right now would be 40 minutes a night of playing really, really locked in basketball. Yeah, I just, yeah, no, I agree. I just wish that, and I and I think this is starting to become the trend or at least the, um, 
the observations, at least from my end, is that anytime they go into a game where the fans also think this is a very easy or winnable game sure. for the Lakers to get, they always play down to the level of competition, which has been a very frustrating thing for me to watch personally because the side of good teams, and we say this all the time no matter what sport you're in, uh, good teams always beat up on bad teams. Like, that's the sign of a good team, generally, is if they, uh -huh. they win pretty convincingly. Uh, so right now, the Lakers are not a very good team, but they definitely have the talent and the the knowledge and, and experience to to outplay, like, younger, like, younger, greener teams like the Pistons. So that's probably, like, a lot of the reason why they won tonight. Because, like I mentioned earlier in the show, the Pistons kind of folded down the stretch. They didn't know how to handle pressure when the pace of play picked up and it wasn't in their favor. And now they got the Lakers out of rolling. They just had zero idea on how to stop them. But when they play a good team uh, later on in the season, like, is that going to be the case again where, you know, the team still has another, you know, punch in their back pocket or another piece that they can throw at the Lakers? Like, how are the Lakers going to respond then? So building blocks for the Lakers, obviously overcoming a deficit no matter who you're playing is great. But I just want I'm kind of still in wait and see mode with this team as far as this response was great. The final seven minutes, like the comment mentioned, was awesome. But we need to see that more throughout the course of a game and it gets better competition for me to feel more confident about um, the team. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. That's where the, that's where it being the Pistons is a factor, right? In terms of how confident we are moving forward. Yep. Giovanni Mejia said Laker bench players will also get suspended for running on the court. I mean, there were players from both teams. I believe I would have to go back and look at it, but I believe there were players from both teams on the court. Uh, were players out there playing peacemaker. Yep. I know the, the letter of the law is if you step on the floor during an altercation, you're suspended. So, But look, if that's the case, then the Lakers can't play their next game. Right? Like, based on my recollection, pretty much everybody was on the floor um, during that one. So it'll be interesting to see how the NBA handles that whole situation. Yeah, I'd have to go back and rewatch it. But if 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 they stick to the rules, then yeah, that's that's definitely an, that's going to be an issue for sure. We're going to get another Chris Kamen situation on the bench. with him laying out on the bench. Yeah, for all our true Lakers fans out there, if you remember the moment. Uh, Larry Wolfolk you know. II with Super Chat said, who do we have to trade to get Greg Popovich? Uh, Greg Popovich would retire if he was traded to the Lakers. Oh, yeah. No, he would not do, do that. Not want to come the rumor has been that he might be retiring at the end of this year. But, there, I mean, there's been rumors the last few years that he would retire at the end of the season, and then he didn't. So you never know. But, uh, yeah, they've never been big fans of the Lakers. Uh, Marcel Tucker, the super chat said, became a diehard Laker fan when my guy Braun joined the team, but I have to be honest and say, we can't win it with Russ. Uh, you couldn't win tonight's game without Russ. Uh, in general, look, there's reason yep. to be concerned about Westbrook. There have been a lot of nights where he's made a lot of mistakes, but tonight was not one of those nights. Tonight was a night that you don't get the win without him. So yeah, I mean, look, big picture, you can still be concerned with things that we've seen from Russ, the turnovers and all that. But he's had a few games now where the turnovers have been a bit better. Um, we've heard that Russell Westbrook gets better as the season goes on, that he starts off slowly. Maybe that's what we're seeing happen. But again, I thought tonight, if you're going to put together, compile a list of all the games where Westbrook was, was bad or Westbrook was a negative for the Lakers, last game against the Celtics was one of them tonight was not uh here's a fun temperature check or exercise trevor would you rather have and again like there are a lot of variables or caveats and and you know x factors here but would you rather have this year's lakers uh -oh. team or the exact same team from last year 
No, no adding or subtracting anyone. You, you just, just get, get last, last year's team. team. I mean, yeah, they ran it back literally. And so you bring everybody back. So Caruso, KCP, Kuzma, Trez, all those guys. Yep. Yep. God, this feels bad. But I mean, but 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 last year's team. See, see it feels bad because you have to think about it. Yeah, yeah, see, that's where I'm at too. I think that that last year's team yeah, at least that, makes that's sense why. on paper. That's why, because you would have the shooters around him. But I will say that, like tonight's game, they probably don't win. Last year's team doesn't, because you're not going to get that guy who right. LeBron goes out and suddenly this guy blows up and does well. But maybe they were never in that position to begin with, because who knows? I mean, maybe KCP played well earlier in the game and hit you know three of five from deep, or you know. So it's hard to say for sure, but yes, last year's team defensively is so much better than this year's group, and it fits Frank Vogel so much more um, that you you kind of almost have to say last year's team, which wasn't what we expected coming into this season, but here we are. No. Well, the reason I bring it up is because I think last year's team's floor was a lot higher than this True. year's team. What do you what What about ceiling? Like, Who, I, which team is the higher ceiling? Ceiling though, ceiling is the question mark because I don't know what this team yet. So I think just because there's an unknown factor to this year's team, I think you almost have to by default think that this year's team has a higher ceiling. But you know, it's kind of feast or famine with this team. You're either gonna get you know good performances or really bad ones. I think last year's team, like at its core, had a defensive identity that was yeah. very clear and solid, and you knew what you were gonna get every single game. Like let's remember that last year's team. And I know it doesn't really matter to talk about the team too much, but it's more of a thought exercise. Um, last year's team, when LeBron and AD were out, still were one of the best, if not the yeah. best, defensive team in the league. That's so difficult to do. Um, and you can lean on that. Like, did they win that many games? No, that's why they ended up a seventh seed. But at least you knew what you were going to get every night. As far as this team's concerned, though, because guys are still out and injured, and it's still very clearly in the process of gelling and figuring stuff out, I don't really know what the ceiling looks like quite yet, but I think because I know what last year's team looked like. It feels like this team has more potential to do great things, but it also has the very sad reality that it could crash sure. and burn at any moment. Sure, check one hide. Yeah. Well, the, the box of chocolates, you never know yep. what you're going to get, right? Forrest Gump team. Um, yep. All right, let's finish up with the master lock of the night. Master lock of the night. Chat, let us know what from this night are you putting into the master lock? I have a feeling we are all thinking same thing matt do do we think that uh chris masters could have i was master thinking about Isaiah that Stewart like if you moment. guys have seen chris chris is not yeah he's a I pretty mean, big look, dude. like chris is chris is about my age right he's maybe a year younger than than me so he's he's not like he it's not like chris is is 25 or something like that but he looks like he is like he's not you see some of these these wrestlers right who as they get older it starts to really show chris is like still ridiculous uh, he's absolutely shredded and he's strong as an ox i mean look isaiah stewart is what is 610 chris is like 65 but chris is also incredibly strong I yeah, know. I don't know. Yeah, I think it just be an issue. Be an issue. But, but regardless, regardless, Chris, if he was there, I'm sure would have come running in, maybe with a steel chair, and would have put eventually the master lock on Isaiah Stewart. I think he definitely deserves it for this one because, again, I go back to this. 
He had time to think. He had time to process. And he still decided, I am going to run through anybody in my way to get at the Lakers. Now, I have had people, Keith Smith was asking me about this. What was Russell Westbrook saying to him? What was DeAndre Jordan saying to him? I don't know. I didn't see that side of things. I was I was focused on LeBron. Yeah. So I don't know what was being said. But regardless, you knew what would happen if you did the things that you did. You knew the referees would handle the situation with LeBron hitting you, elbowing, whatever it was, whatever it was, the refs were going to handle that situation. But you decided to take it into your own hands and you were going to bull rush everybody and almost succeeded. And then sprints back to the locker room. I wonder what happened in the locker room. Like what happened from there? Regardless, you can't you can't do that. Oh, you, you know what was you know what was um also a thought. Someone posted on the timeline that you know when Isaiah Stewart ran to the to, to the locker room and to the hallways, LeBron James also got ejected and had to ha- head that way also. So I wonder if he was trying to meet him when he got thrown out of the game. Um, no reporting on LeBron that or anything. I'm just trying to him. wonder. But he knew. No, he I'm was saying after he got tossed. I- yeah, that could be. Yeah, so I, I wonder. It? Didn't, um, didn't that happen I, with, like, I, I haven't, wasn't it like, Rick Fox and Doug Christie or something like that? I think so. We also had that altercation well, between yeah. the Rockets and the, the Clippers the a few years ago. The tunnel the locker rooms at Staples Center? The secret the, the tunnel, secret tunnel in Staples about. Center. We're sorry. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 well, here's the here's the analogy all the way around. Uh, Chris Paul knew where the skeletons were in uh, Crypto.com oh, Arena. So in the crypt. All right, making connections. I like it. That's, that's what I do. That's what I get paid for, Trevor. I'm a professional. Um, but yeah, it's master lock of the night by far and away goes to Isaiah Stewart. That was just not a good moment. It was scary. No. It, it was just a mess. The moment where mess. I started really get scared is when he got through like three or four people. When he made that that other attempt, I went, Same, yeah. oh God, he's, re- he's actually going to make it. Like for a moment there, I thought he was going to get there to the point where I was thinking you're going to need like four or five teammates to like pile on him because the, the arena security is not going to do it. They're not going to be able to stop this guy. Um, that it was a scary moment. And, and again, I'm not yeah. saying what LeBron, what LeBron did was not right. Whether you want to debate whether or not it's intentional or, or whatever, the NBA is definitely going to take a look at that. But if you're Isaiah Stewart, especially, especially in Detroit, you can't lose control like that. Yeah, you know, this can happen in every arena, but we're just saying especially Detroit because of Malice in the Palace, you know, almost two decades ago now. It's it's just, it brings up bad memories, and it was a black mark yeah. on the NBA for a little bit, too, uh, how that escalated. I didn't think it was going to get anywhere close to that tonight, but at the same time, you know, people could have gotten hurt, and that's what we want to avoid here. Um, obviously, he has a gripe. I understand why he's upset, but it's just one of those things where you need to be more composed and you have to realize where you are in the situation and what you're doing is not, is not good. Like you've been saying, like he had time to think about it and still reacted the way he did. That's just not going to fly. So I'm interested to see how the NBA rules on this because what, what's a reasonable uh, suspension off the top of your head right now? If you had to just guess. Oh, I said 20. Okay. So you went farther. The first number that popped into my head was five, was was five games because what was it? I think O'Neal got like 30. But he actually hit a fan, right? Like, I mean, they actively fought. Like, yeah, but you're, but you're talking about like now we have precedent sure. for that stuff, though. So to prevent it going forward, my thing is like maybe they try to crack down a little. I bit I don't more. see it going twenty, but again, I think it's gonna be if it's like if it's one game. I, I would be I would be surprised oh, no. by that based on just bet the over. 
What's like an odds? Do I have oh, betting I odds on that? Bet Can I bet the over on, on one? one? Because of the multiple attempts, yeah. because the number of people it took to, to stop him. Um, yeah, that was not, not a good look. Yeah, maybe, maybe 20 successive, but I definitely think it's double digits. Like, I wouldn't be surprised does, if does it got LeBron 10. get suspended for? If it does, or does he get suspended? One. I think he gets suspended one. Uh, I I think for flagrant twos, normally, though, it's yeah. usually only just a game, right? Somebody said, Mike Wolf said, come on, guys, we're being soft. This kind of thing happens in the UFC all the time. <laughs> well, see, you're right. <laughs> we're not in the octagon though or little Caesars, or that little caesar's arena my guy so somebody said next different. man up is lebron's elbow the people's elbow the people's elbow <laughs> oh you guys yes. are funny oh the memes are gonna be flying yeah but uh, yeah just let's moving away from the isaiah stewart situation yeah. though just to put a bow on this whole thing the lakers did win today they're nine and nine, not great, but also not as bad as it necessarily could be. If if they if they had lost this game, Trevor, this oh, would have yeah. been pandemonium. Yeah, yeah. If they had lost this one, and it, that's the way it looked like it was going to be until, you know, Russ and AD and Melo hit some big shots, and and some guys did what they did, but otherwise, whew, this was going to be this was going to be a rough one for sure. Yep, but a win's a win, so uh, we'll take it. For the time being. All right, everybody. I think that's a good place to finish things off. A win is a win. And we will take a win. Now we wait to see what the NBA has to say. Again, the Lakers play on Tuesday against the Knicks. Will LeBron be able to play? Not is he healthy, but will he be able to play in that one? Depends on what the NBA says after this. I imagine we're probably going to hear tomorrow, Tuesday at the latest, in regards to LeBron's availability on Tuesday for that game. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Make sure you do subscribe to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. Turn on those notifications as well. If you're listening to the podcast version of this, make sure you give us a follow over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, Matt, the Optimist Peralta, you can find him at Matthew Peralta on Instagram if you want to get that incredible footage of him playing pickup basketball. It's some wild stuff, everybody. So make sure you go check that out. Until next time, see ya and stay safe.